Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Truman's Town Hall with your host, Matt Truman. Hello, hello, this is Matt Truman. Thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for sharing with a friend. Today on Truman's Town Hall, we are going to talk about Russia, Ukraine, NATO, Belarus, Putin, Biden, all of the stuff that is happening that the mainstream media is not going to tell you. We're also going to talk a little bit about COVID-19, Pfizer, and the vaccine. Don't tell nobody because we'll get kicked off the internet. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, I'm not going to share this one over on YouTube because they'll boot us off uh, like they do. Google, Google. His name is Matt, and he's a motivational speaker. That's right. I'm here to motivate you, get you ready for the impending doom. Folks, we are living in strange times. I keep saying that on this doggone podcast, but it's the truth. We're living in strange times. First, we have to remember this. Arts of America, a major reversal from its drop early on. When the scientific breakthrough of vaccines slashed the caseload, as you can see there, people watched trucks carrying the doses as they left warehouses early in the morning. Healthcare workers got those first shots, showing how people who know most about medicine and those who saw COVID's devastation up close were eager to get vaccinated. Nurse Sandra Lindsay actually got the very first shot on live TV. There was a huge push to get everyone vaccinated. This vaccine means hope. It's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting my vaccine. I have to get my COVID shot. If this is one shot, I won't block. I just got my vaccine, and I will recommend it to anyone and everyone. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. And many, many people did not hesitate. We know that 198 million Americans have now gotten at least one shot, and it's working. Because it prevents COVID transmission for most people and it protects people who might get those rare COVID breakthrough cases, it still protects you from severe harm or death. Now, I want to be clear about what the CDC is saying and what the CDC is not saying. The CDC is saying they have concluded that fully vaccinated people 
are at a very, very low risk of getting COVID-19. Dr. Fauci, the idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally, unilaterally to represent science, that any criticism of you would be considered a criticism of science <clears throat> itself, is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. It would not be so catastrophic if the planner were simply one physician in Peoria, then the mistakes would only affect that physician's patients, the people who chose that physician. But when the planner is a government official, like yourself, who rules by mandate, the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with them. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. In the beginning, the critical issue that I think was the one of the thing when we finally realized that it, we became very clear what we needed to do was, was this virus an efficient spreader from human to human? What about community spread? Because there's no doubt that we knew that we would get cases here. And when we got cases here, that people who were documented to be exposed, relatives, husband-wife combinations of someone that comes over, if they get infected, that's not community spread. You know exactly what the source is. A person travels from Wuhan, they're here, they unite with someone, husband, wife, or who would have you, they get infected. The insidious aspect about community spread is that it's spread in the community and you don't know who is infecting who. You don't have an identifiable point source. Once that happens, that is the big red flag that we have a real serious problem. And that's when we first started realizing the first community spread that was not related to an identifiable source. That first case of community spread, that California woman with no known connection to China, Italy, or any of these hotspots, was not tested for days before learning she had coronavirus. Now we see an explosion of that. That's what's exactly what went on in New York, went on in Chicago and New Orleans, and what is currently now, as you and I are speaking, which is going on in several of the southern states. We're having a surging of community spread. I think we need to be uniform in some fundamental principles. I'm referring to them now as the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are not rocket science. It's universal wearing of masks, avoiding crowds, close the bars, stay physical distance, personal hygiene, washing your hands, when you have restaurants, avoid indoor as much as possible. Outdoor is better than indoor. If you're in a restaurant, make sure it is not capacity, that it's seated separate. If you do those things, masks, no crowds, physical distance, personal hygiene, no doubt you're going to be able to turn these things around with something as simple as that. Oh, Dr. Fauci, that's what you say? Let's see. I got this the other day uh, from Governor Mike DeWine's representative because he was too lazy to come to the 
Greene County Tea Party's event. Mike DeWine's representative, Ethan Reynolds, said this. That's not my area. Quick question. Yes. You were representing uh, DeWine? Yes. So when's he going to apologize for shutting down Ohio during the pandemic or the so-called pandemic? Well, the governor opened it back up. We were in the first state to open it up. We ruined a lot of business. We opened it up early. And, you know, that was our, our key to get opened back up as fast as possible, which we did. Uh, we followed the guidance given to us by the Trump administration. So. What about uh, Dave LaRose? Shutting down the election. Do you think that's? Did you think Secretary that was illegal? Frank LaRose? Yeah, Frank LaRose. That would be a question for uh, Kenny and his yeah. the secretary's office. I can't speak on behalf of their office. So, Sorry. so you, you didn't mind the shutdown at all, then? Again, we followed the advice from the federal government. Right, but you guys didn't mind it. Again, we, we followed the advice from President Trump's administration. So, he followed the guidance of the Trump administration. Huh, Trump. There's a lot of folks out there that are still clinging on to President Donald J. Trump. Folks, this happened in 2020. Hmm, President Trump was still in charge. Huh. You got to do what you have to do. But I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know. But uh, you do have your freedoms. You have to keep, you have to maintain that. You have to maintain that. And you got to get your kids back to school. Uh, did it work, ladies and gentlemen? Did the vaccines work? After Europe approved the COVID vaccine for kids, excessive deaths among children increased by 755%. Recent studies now prove that the COVID vaccines are being transmitted to children through the vaccinated mother's breast milk. A recent Harvard study shows that the COVID vaccines are far more dangerous than COVID-19 itself. And the CDC has quietly acknowledged all this. All of these facts were once explicitly labeled false by the mainstream narrative. The awakening masses are now aware that these experimental vaccines are deadly and that we are all being lied to, but we still don't know what these mysterious poisons are doing to our bodies. Macroscopic research has shown us that some of these vaccines contain graphene oxide, and what appears to be self-assembling nanotech. Morticians have found massive inorganic so-called clots growing inside the vascular systems of the deceased vaccinated. And the FDA has been using transhumanist slogans to push the latest COVID booster shots. So it isn't surprising that people are now questioning the vaccine when it comes to a strange new phenomena being captured by security cameras from around the world. Several videos show people suffering from the same strange attack. First, they act as if they see something over their shoulder, compelling them to turn their head. As the head turns, the body follows, an arm lifts as if to point at what they are seeing. 
Their body then spirals into collapse and begins to spasm, turning their head to see something and then spinning into collapse. These videos do not appear to be a hoax. And if they are not a hoax, then what is this? It has people speculating about 5G and has others thinking about CERN. Whatever it is that is going on, we are still injecting this deadly poison into the young bodies of our innocent children. Oh, Matt, you are a conspiracy theorist. That is all conspiracy. These vaccines have been tested. They've been tested and they've been given to hundreds of millions, billions of people around the world. And you're going to sit. Uh oh, here's another report. Oh, boy. Dick and I have been open and honest about my own uh, error. I think in not processing information and kind of panicking early on, given my disease and that I had and taking the COVID vaccine without allowing for the science to materialize. Huge mistake. Biggest medical mistake of my life. I'm only human, folks. I make mistakes like anyone else. I have no superhuman powers of deduction, okay? So this happened. This minister of parliament for the uh, European Union, his name is Rob Ross. He did a, the media rounds yesterday. But he asked a question that, I got to tell you guys, I'm kind of surprised no one's thought to ask yet in a formal type setting like this. He's got this Pfizer executive on the record there and asks a question that should have been asked a long time ago. Did you guys test this thing, this vaccine, to see if it would prevent transmission before you launched this thing into the market for tens and hundreds of millions of people to take? Kind of a simple question, right? Because the whole purpose of a vaccine, or at least one of the primary purposes, can we all agree, is to, at a minimum, re significantly reduce transmission, <laughs> at a maximum, stop it completely. Like, that's the point of a freaking vaccine. Nobody's asked this question yet, as far as I know. I want you to listen to the answer and watch your jaw drop. Check this out. U, mevrouw Small, heb ik de volgende vraag waar ik een duidelijk antwoord op wil. And I will speak in English, so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer. Yes or no? And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. This is scandalous. Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now, this turned out to be a cheap lie. Holy shit. What do you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean, no, you didn't test it? What do you mean by that? Listen uh, uh, to the Pfizer folks. I'm not one of these people who jumps down the throat of any company for any reason if I don't have evidence, but you need to come out and explain this today. Like, yeah, you need to, you need to come out and explain this 10 minutes ago before my show even started. What the hell are you talking about? And then the answer from the lady gets, I don't know if you caught this one part. Obviously, the no answer is the big kind of stunning revelation. 
But there's a secondary part of that. She says we had to move at the speed of science. The speed of science is testing hypotheses, getting a result and retesting it for its veracity, reliability, and validity. The speed of science isn't rushing out a vaccine and acknowledging that you didn't even test it to check if it would stop transmission. How, how the hell is that the speed of science? You know what that is the speed of, however, Joe? That's the speed of politics. Oh, yes. Now, you can blame it on whoever you want. Trump, Biden, that's your call. I'm just telling you, folks, this thing's getting ugly now. And again, from the you're not wasting your time with the Dan Bongino show file. What have I told you so many times? You're probably tired of hearing it. The vaccine mandates and the mask mandates have absolutely nothing to do with vaccines or masks. What do you mean? They have everything to do with the second portion of that mandates. They obviously had nothing to do with the vaccine because the company's acknowledging itself it hadn't tested to see if it would stop transmission because they were working at the speed of science. So how the hell do you mandate a vaccine if it's about the science, right, guys? When the science, admittedly, wasn't even there. The answer is because it was about attacks on body sovereignty. The socialists and the communists who were infecting our body politic around the world could not backtrack once they put out a government edict that what goes in your body is their choice, not yours. If they backtrack, they'll look fallible. If they look fallible, cracks develop in the dam. If cracks develop in the dam and the dam bursts, the whole socialism, government, uh, you know, government knows better than you idea completely falls apart. It's why to this day, even as I covered yesterday, no matter how much science emerges, how much testimony emerges, that the vaccines and the masks do almost nothing of what they said they would do. Liberals will not back down from either wanting to mandate it or shoving them down your throat. They won't. They won't because they can't. Once they admit that government screwed up, that the government they claim is going to be the solution to all your problems, it's the socialist ethos. Once they admit that that model sucks, the whole house of cards collapses. Ladies and gentlemen, it pains me to say this. They would rather see you suffer. And they would rather see people die from consequences of this vaccine. They would rather see COVID spread than give up their mask mandates and their vaccine mandates because their whole governing model falls apart. We're living in the information dark ages, folks. We are right now. They are so committed to hiding the side effects and downsides of this vaccine, especially for people who are young and healthy, they are so committed, some of them would rather see you die. That is, that is, that is a stunning thing for me to have to say. But it's true. Yowza, yowza, yowza. That was Dan Bongino. He's a former Secret Service agent who was uh, on President Obama's detail. I just finished reading uh, Clint Hill's book, Five Presidents. You guys should check that one out. It was about Clint Hill, a former Secret Service agent who uh, was on uh, Johnson's detail, Jacqueline Kennedy's detail, Eisenhower? Was he on Eisenhower? I don't know. Anyway, it, it was a pretty good book. Anyway, that was Dan Bongino. Folks, is it? 
conspiracy theory that these vaccines are junk. We've been talking about this since doggone 2020, when it all started. Have I been a fan of these vaccines? No, I haven't. Have I been critical of President Trump? Yes, I have. Did I vote for him? Yes, I did. (laughs) All right. I think it's important that we are critical of our government, especially in the United States. We have that right. I picked up two new constitutions. If you need one, I'll send one to you free of charge. Send me your address, truepodcast at gmail.com. I will send you a constitution. We need to know it. We need to love it. Right? I don't charge anybody for anything. There may be ads on this podcast, but they don't really pay for much. It's like, what, half a cent every time an ad plays? Anyway, right? It doesn't even cover the cost to put this podcast out there. But I put it out there. So share with a friend and maybe someday it will cover the cost and we can add more and more. We've already added the Sunday night show. So and I got the red rooster ringed in on that from the gospel message. Waylon Fortner. Y'all need to check that out. He was preaching hard tonight because I'm recording this on Thursday. So I watched uh, the red rooster and I watch him preach and I get my little Bible out. Well, it's actually a big Bible giant print because I'm old and I got bifocals and I try to follow along he goes he goes really fast rooster if you're listening you go really fast I'm, I'm trying to invite me to a bible study or something because I need to I need to take it slow you know anyway so we're going to trust government to to deliver all these edicts right we we you know the our governor here in Ohio Governor DeWine apparently listened to Trump. Trump listened to Fauci, and Fauci was wrong. Folks, we need leaders. We don't need people just to follow. We need leaders. We need leaders in this country, leaders that adhere to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. That's missing today in America. It's missing, and it's missing so much. We're about to enter world we're in world war three we're in it right now you don't believe me check this out good afternoon friends let me tell you something i talked with nate the canadian prepper last night for about an hour we talked about some things that we had been in discussion over by uh, email over the last couple of weeks and then we talked about what was happening in our world What was coming next? You know, we hadn't talked on the phone or using audio for a a couple of months now, since the last uh, Prepper Channel meetup. But now, things have changed. And each one of us are preparing for a larger event to take place, whether that is such a massive economic crash that it will send shockwaves throughout the entire world, or it's World War III, nuclear Armageddon. We were talking about some of our own plans, what we are doing. Let me tell you that things have changed in our own planning. It used to be we were we had two sets, two paths. That first path was constant preparedness. And then the other path was more of a if things stay more the same, here is the path that I'm going to go on. And slowly but surely, it has veered more toward constant preparedness. Let me tell you that that's a big shock for me because it echoes some of the things that 
I am seeing, that you're seeing, that are being seen in our entire world and community. There's a reason the governments are telling their citizens to get potassium iodide. There's a reason they're instructing people to measure out and check for bomb shelters in their areas. There's a reason that New York and other northern states are telling people to get ready, but southern states are not. Do you know what that reason is? Because you, as a southern stater, which I am right now, would be seen as collateral damage if you are not able to get to an adequate bomb shelter during a nuclear event. But up north, North Carolina, or not North Carolina, New York, Pennsylvania, a lot of the northern states, Washington, they're telling their citizens to get ready. And so we have to take a cue from that and know that they are seeing much the same that we are, that this is a disaster of unforetold proportions. It is something that is going to last for years and years. Hopefully, we will not go into a nuclear conflict, and hopefully we will just see the sins of our fathers, so to say, in the economic realm really bite us in the rear end, and we see a severe economic depression. It's sad that that is now our worst, excuse me, our best case scenario. The deputy secretary of the Russian Secretary Council says that Ukraine's ascension to NATO will ignite a third world war. The EU's Borrell says that Russian, Russia's army will be annihilated if Russia uses a nuclear weapon. 14 NATO members, Finland and others, are creating joint European air defense systems. The defense ministers of these nations have agreed to develop an air and missile defense system called the European Sky Shield Initiative. This is to strengthen, they say, NATO's ability to defend its members while still lobbing out missiles of its own. You may not be hearing much about Ukraine joining NATO, but let's take a moment to look at what they are doing instead of just looking at what they are saying. Speaking on changes in rearming, a senior NATO official claims that, quote, we will be looking at defense planning requirements to get Ukraine fully interoperable with NATO. It's about, he says, shifting away from Soviet equipment to NATO-compatible Western equipment. Let me tell you, you do not need to shift away from available Soviet equipment to NATO equipment if you are not going to join NATO either out in the open or defensively behind closed doors. We will be looking, they say, at ways to try and rebuild Ukraine's defense industry. The wider effort beyond the day-to-day -day battlefield needs of the Ukrainian military will, will require years of attention, they warn. By default, turning Ukraine into a NATO country, even if it's not a member of the NATO alliance. You see, this war is now about perception. If Russia perceives that a false flag event is going to take place, or if it perceives that the U.S. or NATO are planning to invade its borders, it will act. If the U.S. perceives that Russia is going to use a nuclear, chemical, or biological weapon, it will act. And now you had that very first warning from the deputy secretary of the Russian Security Council saying that if Ukraine goes into NATO, it will ignite a third world war. It doesn't take Ukraine on paper being a NATO member. 
It's the perception. It's Ukraine being armed. It's Ukraine being ready. It's Ukraine being defended by. It's intelligence being given from NATO countries. De facto, NATO. And in that perception, Russia will unleash hell on earth. Similar at the UN General Assembly, the uh, votes are in in support of Ukraine's sovereignty and against Russia. It saw 133 voting countries for Ukraine and only five against a bid to support Ukraine's territorial integrity and reject wholeheartedly Russia's annexation of that territory. Only Belarus, the DPRK, Nicaragua, and Syria have sided with Russia. After the Ukrainian president sent a message to NATO leadership and those at the G7 summit that they must immediately deploy international monitoring missions with armed joint personnel on the border with Belarus, leadership inside of Belarus warned that, quote, if the relevant representatives of Western countries are sent to the border of Belarus and Ukraine, this will actually, remember what I said about perception, this will actually mean the involvement of these third countries in the Ukrainian conflict. Concrete actions, Belarus says, are being taken. Military equipment and weapons are being transferred. Military personnel are being accumulated. Added that an adequate response and measures will be taken against NATO. In a statement of cohesion with Ukraine and against Russia, the G7 leaders have alerted the world that they will stand against Russia in this war for as long as it takes. That's Canada, France, the United States of America, Italy, Japan, and Germany, as well as the United Kingdom. In addition, the European Union is a non-enumerated member. A senior Taiwan official, speaking of things that are going to divide America to fight two nuclear powers. A uh, Taiwan security official has alerted its Western counterparts just yesterday that China is looking at the experiences of the Russian war in Ukraine and developing and deploying a hybrid warfare strategy against Taiwan, including the use of drones and psychological warfare. This year, according to the quote, the communist military has borrowed from the experience of the Russian-Ukraine war to develop hybrid warfare against Taiwan and strengthen its combat training and preparations against strong enemies, speaking of the USA. Taiwan warns that China's gray zone warfare campaign involves what are being called irregular tactics. These will exhaust Taiwan without resorting to open conflict. That's frequently flying into the air defense zone, forcing Taiwan's air force to scramble, using psychological warfare campaigns, social media campaigns. The defense ministry has reported 15 military aircraft and four PLAN vessels spotted in the surrounding regions and going into these defense zones almost every single day day. The U.S. government has warned its allied counterparts that China is, quote, the only country with both the intent to shape or reshape, excuse me, the international order and increasingly the economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to advance that objective. This is just days after the uh, U.K. and other countries around the world noted China as being an enemy force.
This warning comes as the U.S. is preparing for the first time in history to fight two nuclear weaponized nations on opposing fronts in what is a last-ditch effort to retain order that is bolstered and controlled by an American or what I call a westernized agenda. All right. That's just one report from Full Spectrum Survival. It's a YouTube channel. You can check it out. They've been pretty spot on. He has been pretty spot on with this Ukraine and Russia stuff, so that's why I pay attention to it. Do I agree with everything? No. Do I agree with everything I play on this podcast? No. But I think it's important, and I think you're... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Adult enough to decipher what is true and what is untrue. So I just give it to you as I hear it. Here's another report. Actually, I'm going to play several news reports back to back so you know exactly what folks are talking about going forward with World War III between NATO, Russia, China, Belarus, and all the above. Since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, global powers have picked sides and they have been pushing to isolate Russia. One nation that has stood unconditionally with Russia is its trusted ally, Belarus. Russian President Vladimir Putin has constantly had Belarusian President Lukashenko's support. Even before the start of the Russian offensive, Belarus allowed Russian armed forces to perform weeks-long military drills on its territory. However, the Russian troops did not exit the country after the drills ended. Minsk allowed Moscow to stage a part of the invasion from its territory, giving Russia the shortest possible land route to Ukraine's capital, Kiev. In the initial days of the war, Russian forces used Belarus as a staging post for which it called for what it calls a special military operation in Ukraine. Russia sent troops and equipment into northern Ukraine from bases in Belarus. Now, as Moscow is escalating its offensive in Ukrainian cities by launching missile strikes across the country, Belarus has announced a new military link-up with Russian forces. Minsk says the regional grouping of forces is purely defensive. Belarus Defense Minister Viktor Krenin emphasized on Tuesday that all activities being carried out at the moment were aimed at providing sufficient response to actions near its borders. Earlier on Monday, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko announced that the two, lead, the two neighbors have deployed forces together. He said the formation of these troops coincided with the attack on the Crimean Bridge. However, he did not specify where the forces 
were deployed. Talk us through what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. There's been more missile strikes today, haven't there? Yes, uh, more missile strikes today. I mean, President Putin has made it clear that this is revenge for the what happened at the Kirsch Strait Bridge uh, on Saturday. And yesterday there were 80-odd missile attacks. And now we know about 24 drone attacks as well. So over 100, about 108 attacks yesterday. Another dozen or so today. And it will presumably go on. Um, the Ukrainians are reasonably successful in shooting down some of these things or inter intercepting them. They seem to have intercepted about half of all of those things launched against them. But those attacks have come from uh, in the, it, the sea, caliber missiles, uh, cruise missiles have been fired over Moldova, over Moldovan airspace. The Moldovans are furious about it. Um, drones that have been launched from Belarus uh, that have attacked different areas, attacks on Viv uh, this morning uh, and on Zaporizhia as well. So this is a new phase of the, it's not, it's not that new, we saw it in June, but it's a new phase of this part of the war that as the Russians are doing not very well um, on the battlefront itself, the, the war is now coming back to the cities and the civilian population of Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and in terms of the West's response, how would you gauge that? Well, the West has condemned it. Um, and in a way, this serves to increase the condemnation in the West. It increases the consensus in Western powers that they've got to bring more pressure to bear uh, on Putin and China and India to stop backing Putin. More practically, um, Western powers have said, OK, we will give you more anti-aircraft uh, weapons. The United States... Please. Yeah, these sorts of things. They're all, all similar sorts of things. The United States have got the NASMs, which is a, is a Norwegian-American uh, type, which is a, a surface-to-air missile. Um, Britain gives them Star Streak, which is very good. Importantly, uh, Germany has this Iris-T system, which it agreed to give um, a couple of months ago, and it's been held up in the Chancellor's office. It wouldn't sign it off. Uh, this week, he said, you'll have it within a few days. And so there's this sense of rushing some anti-aircraft systems now, these very sophisticated ones that can pick out pretty well anything, missiles, drones, aircraft. Um, give them to the Ukrainians. They clearly can use them pretty well. And so this is a new phase of the war before the winter that seems now to be opening up. Uh, and what about Belarus? Uh, I suppose we should go back to our map. The, the, the talk there, Belarus, of course, to the north of, of Ukraine... Uh, yeah. Talk of them banding together with Russia. We've, they've already given a lot of support, haven't they? Yes, they have. So, I mean, from the very beginning of the war, President Lukashenko has uh, has now said that, that there will be a joint Belarusian-Russian force on the border. They'll start to exercise. Um, the force is not great. The Russians haven't got many forces to offer that, because most of them are involved already there. Uh, the Belarusian armed forces are pretty small. Um, in theory, they've got about 50,000. In reality, they could put about 15,000 troops into the field after a while. If you had to say how many could you put into the field this weekend, it'd probably be five or 6,000 maximum with not very good equipment. It's a very long border, and so in principle, if there were an invasion of a joint Belarusian-Russian force, it could be quite close to, uh, to Kiev. More likely, any invasion will be somewhere in the West um, where it's, there's, there's less to run into. One could actually you know, make some mischief in the West. But to punch through the, the border and set up a new frontier would require more than Belarus and Russia could put together in the short term. But they're tempted to do it, or at least to threaten it, as a way of opening up a new front, give Kiev something else to worry about, and maybe something for which they've got to draw troops away. So far, the Ukrainians have just had a, a reserve force screening all of this, but they might have to do more. OK, Michael, thanks very much.
NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg told reporters that President Putin's war efforts are failing. And while Russia shows no sign of changing posture, Secretary General Stoltenberg said he will remain vigilant. President Putin is failing in Ukraine. His attempted annexations, partial mobilization, and reckless nuclear rhetoric represents the most significant escalation since the start of the war. And they show that this war is not going as planned. Speaking ahead of a defense minister's meeting in Brussels, Stoltenberg emphasized that NATO is closely monitoring Russia's nuclear forces. As the world waits for Putin's next move, it's his continued threat of nuclear war that has President Biden doubling down on a chilling warning in an exclusive interview with CNN. He, in fact, cannot continue with impunity to talk about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon as if that's a rational thing to do. The mistakes get made, and the miscalculation could occur. No one can be sure what would happen, and it could end in Armageddon. But the president also stressed he still doesn't think Putin will actually resort to nukes despite his losses and desperation. CNN's Caitlin Collins is at the White House with more on this. Caitlin, a clear and carefully worded message here from the president. Yeah, he seems to be you know, really clarifying what he was saying in that closed-door fundraiser last week when he first was talking about the idea of Armageddon here and saying that he believes basically the world is on the closest uh, brink of nuclear war that it has been since the 1960s when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, really trying to clarify what he was saying there and also talking about what he thinks about Putin overall, saying he does believe he is still a rational actor, that despite what you've heard from some other world leaders and intelligence experts and what they've speculated about Putin's mindset here. But what President Biden said to Jake Tapper was that he does believe he is a rational actor who made a decision that was not rational. By sending his troops into Ukraine, he says he believes he basically misjudged the situation and thought what he was going into was going to look a lot different than it does. Here's what he told Jake Tapper. I think he is a rational actor who's miscalculated significantly. He thought he's going to be welcome with open arms that this, was, this has been the, the home of Mother Russia and Kiev, and, and were, he was going to be welcomed, and I, I think he just totally miscalculated. And today, as President Biden was leaving the White House following that interview he did yesterday, he said that he believes the latest Russian attacks on civilian targets are brutal, that they are beyond the pale. He was also asked about a comment he made yesterday where he said he didn't, doesn't see himself sitting down to meet with Putin about Ukraine overall, but he said maybe if there is a situation like at the G20 summit with world leaders gathering in Bali in November, and it was to talk about Brittany Griner, one of those detained Americans, that is something he could see being feasible. But today, when he was asked if there's been any movement in that space, he said, quote, not with Putin. All right, folks, those are just a few clips from around the news. So you had CNN, ABC, We On News, a couple different things, right? A lot of different news sources to pick and choose from and decide what you believe. Here's what I believe. I believe we have already entered World War II and haven't really not noticed it. Um, we still go to work. We still pay our bills. We still pick our kids up from school. We still do the normal day-to-day -day things, but I believe things are about to get rather strange. We are about to experience, in my opinion, and I hope to God I'm wrong on this. 
I've been right about a lot of this stuff. I've been talking about Russia and Ukraine since before the invasion because I pay attention. So I hope I'm wrong, but I believe we're about to enter a crazy time of war, famine, and just plain old suffering. And that's what I think we're about to enter into. Now, does that mean we stop what we do? No. Here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to prepare. I think you really, truly need to prepare for what's about to come down. Now, if you go out and get rice and beans and medications and water and all this stuff, well, I think that's a good investment because you can always use rice and beans medications, and water, right? I think if you save your money, I don't know what that's going to do. I think you need to invest it in actual items you'll be able to use down the road because I think we're going, I think we're entering hard times. (sighs) November's coming up. I'm concerned that if something pops off before November, if our elections get canceled. They've been canceled for COVID because people were afraid to get sick. Why wouldn't they cancel it for an election? I say this though, Iraq, we pushed that election during a war. So if they cancel our election here, which is concerning to me, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying I'm concerned about it. If something pops off before November. Now you also have to think Ukraine's going into the so we're in the fall, right? So Ukraine's a major agricultural country. Their land gets really wet, really muddy, so it's hard for vehicles to move through that mud. So is there going to be a major invasion now? Possibly not. It may happen next year. And I'm saying January, February, like it did this year in February. When the ground is frozen and people are able or troops are able to move over frozen ground. Will nukes explode in the United States? I don't know. I hope not. Will we go and fight in Ukraine? I hope not. But it's looking more and more like we will. Will Russia move into Poland or Lithuania? or some of those Eastern Bloc countries, it's very possible that that may happen. But I think he's going to stick around Ukraine and see what NATO has in store. NATO's pushing back hardcore, folks, hardcore. And that makes me nervous. And China is sitting back, calculated, and waiting. There was an old saying in Afghanistan... A lot of Afghanis knew it, right? Um, when I was over there, they they would say America, or they said we have the time and America has the watch, right? Meaning essentially that they could wait forever. We're always looking at our watch like, oh, we're on a timetable. We have to be here at such and such time. We have to go there. This mission starts at this time. That's not how they work over there. And I don't believe that's how China's working either. 
I believe China's sitting back watching to see what happens with Russia and NATO. If something pops off between Russia and NATO and China's able to push it along a little bit, they can get Taiwan back. And then we're in a, because Biden's already promised that we're going to protect Taiwan too. Folks, the United States, we can't protect everybody. We have to fix what we have here at home. But I don't think we're doing that because we have piss poor leaders running our country, our state, and our cities. We have to find better leaders because what's happening now is not good for us. It's not good for America. All the folks that allowed the lockdowns, allowed the masking, allowed the shutdowns of the schools, and allowed all the edicts that went down need to be replaced. All the folks war hawking to fight Russia, to fight China, need to be replaced. We need to prepare to fight them, but we don't need to encourage a war. And this is coming from somebody who was in a war, because I know war is hell, like Vin Clauschwitz said. Anyway, I'm going to play, I'm going to leave y'all with a report from an old Fox News host who, who now does a uh, a show on YouTube called Redacted. He's got over a million subscribers. It's very, he's a pretty smart dude. But we're about to enter into another phase of things with Haiti. Have you heard about Haiti? Have they been reporting about it? Or are they reporting about Biden's in, inflation reduction plan? Or the January 6th committee, they met, right? And that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear things you don't need to hear, so you don't hear the important stuff. That's how it's scripted. Operation Mockingbird. Look it up. Anyway, here is the report from Redacted as America enters Haiti. And then... I will see you on Sunday Night Live with a Democrat. It's going to be an interesting discussion, folks. I hope you tune in this Sunday, 9.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with United States Congressional Candidate for Ohio's 10th District, Democrat David Azarati. Listen in, folks. I'm a conservative. He's a Democrat. Whalen's a conservative. He's a dem- it's going to be a fantastic discussion. I don't plan on going hardcore. I want folks to be able to hear what he has to say. I think it's important. I may challenge some things here or there, but it's important to know what folks have to say. Anyway, thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing with a friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please continue to do all that and share this with a friend. Here's that redacted report, and I'll talk to you next time.
Well, we've been covering a very important story on this show, which is the coming invasion, I'm calling it invasion, um, of Haiti by U.S. military forces. And last night we saw some major movements in that regard. The United States Coast Guard sending one of its largest gunships to start patrolling off the coast of Haiti near Port-au-Prince. The United States has canceled visas as well. It looks like things are only getting worse. We're entering a, a heated situation right now. We want to bring in independent journalist Dan Cohen, who's been following the story from the very beginning. He's been doing some excellent journalism on this and we'd like to welcome back to the show dan thanks for thanks for coming back on the show hey thanks a lot for having me clayton absolutely so we were talking last night it looks like things are starting to ratchet up and these of course this is what you've been following and saying this was about to happen it looks like last night things started happening so what is the very latest well i think you're right to to call it an invasion rather rather than the the nice uh, euphemism of military intervention um which sounds you know so much more palatable and uh right now brian nichols the top state department official for the western hemisphere in, and figures from the pentagon uh top southcom commander are in Haiti meeting with uh, the interim prime minister, Ariel Henry, as well as figures from the opposition group that is very close to Washington called the Montana Accord. Um, and they're basically figuring out how they can put down this protest movement. And their main concern is the um, blockade on the, the fuel terminal where, it, where um, Haiti gets 80% of its, of its fuel. And that's blockaded by um, an armed group called the G9, led by Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier. This guy's the number one target of the United States. And if there is any military invasion, uh, intervention, call it what you will, this guy's the target. The G9 is the target. If you look at the readout from the State Department, they, you know, they, they're careful not to say his name, but they say the blockade of the fuel terminal. And they've sent, as you said, a Coast Guard ship, um, which, which is under the auspices of the Department of Homeland Security. And, you know, so it makes me wonder, how is how is Haiti part of the homeland of the United States? You know, where does where does the homeland uh, start and end? I don't Great know point. exactly. It extends very far. I mean, we had National Guard, we had U.S. National Guard deployments from Wisconsin going to Africa last week. So, you right. know, there is no border to the United States, right? Right, exactly. You know, it's all it's all the U.S.'s backyard, Latin America, the Caribbean. Right. So they sent so they send this Coast Guard ship which is military. It's not part of the Pentagon. It's part of Department of Homeland Security. And this thing has um, basically small rafts that move very quickly and, and are equipped with machine guns that it can deploy. And those are exactly the kind of boats that you would want for uh, some kind of you know special covert operation, which is exactly what the U.S. is angling for in Haiti. So, you know, this is classic gunboat diplomacy where you send the, uh, the, the diplomats down there to talk to, talk to the government. Um, and at the same time, you kind of have, you know, the stick waiting in the water, um, you know, ready for action. And, and it might portend something, something else. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that that Coast Guard ship is directly going to, you know, launch an attack, but it obviously portends something greater. And the U.S. said that it, uh, deployed the ship as a sign of its resolve. So, you know, I think that really says everything about its intentions. Let's talk about these oil, uh, that blockade specifically. What do you know about that? So 
Right in the heart of Port-au-Prince on the coast is the Vero gas terminal, and it is Haiti's lifeline of fuel to the outside world where it receives 80% of its fuel. So if that thing is blockaded, as it currently is, it brings the country to a, stand, a sand standstill. Who's blockading um, it? I'm sorry. And so Sure. So there's a so there's an armed group called the the Revolutionary Forces of the G9 Family and Allies, and it's led by a former cop uh, turned what you know uh, revolutionary named Jimmy Cherizier, and he his demand is for Ariel Henry to step down and to have a um, for the country to improve to basically have leadership that will address the needs of the poor masses that are living in the shanty towns in the slums right next to that gas terminal. So, you know, you have the worst poverty in the Western Hemisphere. You have a cholera outbreak right now as a result of it. And their demands to end this blockade are, well, we need clean water, we need education, we need housing, all the basic things that people need to live. And Haiti's ruling class, which is tied to the U.S., won't allow them to have. So that's what this is fundamentally about. And if you look at, you know, the U.S. and its and its um, and its tools in Haiti are very concerned about this fuel blockade, and they want to lift it, but they don't want to address anything that the people are demanding. And the masses, the people out protesting from the slums, they're not saying lift the fuel blockade. They're saying no foreign intervention and down with Ariel Henry. That's their demand. So that's very interesting. So we want to get rid of this interim prime minister, who's basically a puppet, and we want to we want to have our autonomy. No U.S. boots on the ground. And we want to have a new government put in place is essentially what they're asking for. And, of course, it doesn't appear that the West is ready to give that to him. In fact, it seems like the West is fully in support of uh, Henri as the interim prime minister. Am I wrong about that? Not exactly. Basically, the U.S.'s thing is, you know, they know Ariel Henry is a liability because he's totally seen as a, as a puppet of the United States, and correctly so. So there's an opposition group that the U.S. is also meeting with that has kind of a prettier face. They call it Haitian-led. It's called the Montana Accords, oh, named yes. for the, the fancy hotel that it was signed in. And it's a bunch of figures who are also tied to the U.S. So the U.S. is saying, taking these two groups, the Montana Accord and Ari Henri, and just trying to bang them together to make an agreement so then they can have, you know, some kind of transition government with elections. But, you know, again, that's not gonna, actually going to do anything for people in Haiti who are, who are, you know, suffering under their boot. So that's the U.S.'s tactic is to get these groups together. And uh, you may have mentioned this in passing, but what is the overall mood or sentiment regarding the Montana Accord among the Haitian people? Are they are they aware deeply of it, or are they are they in support of it, or or they see it as an extension of of U.S. interventionism, interventionalism? Right. I mean, I think uh, it's it's clear to most Haitians who are out protesting the Mon- that the Montana Accord is just a group, another group of elites that don't represent their interests at all, and like Ariel Henry, are completely tied to the United States. Um, So, you know, I don't see any signs in any of these protests saying, you know, we support the Montana Accord or or anything else, Um, but, you know, they're the signs are demanding uh, those improvements in quality of life and just you know basic infrastructure that Montana is not gonna not gonna provide. The overall message you're seeing from the protests is down with Ariel Henry because he's the interim prime minister and also um, uh, no to U.S. military intervention. But you know there's no way that Montana has popular support. It's really just uh, 
you know, kind of lipstick on a pig. When you see these troop movements, so we see the gunship, the Coast Guard gunship, how much bigger do you think it's going to get from there? Are we talking thousands of uh, American forces, uh, UN peacekeeping forces under the auspices of peacekeeping? Where, where do you see and how big do you think that this will get? Well, the U.S. would love to have the U.N. deploy, you know, so-called peacekeepers as it did in uh, previous occupations. But Russia and China have essentially, all, they, they will block that. Because it's not the Russia and China of you know 2003, 2004 that were much more willing to go go along with um, U.S. machinations. So the U.S. is looking for another way to do it. There's talk about um, through the Organization of American States, which is really just a tool of the U United States, um, and you know the U.S.'s other plot is through the Global Fragility Act, which is a 2019 piece of legislation that allows, that basically calls for um, military special operations to go into so-called fragile countries like Haiti being the, the test case for this legislation and you know carry out what they call small footprint operations, hit squads, black ops, covert ops. Um, so the U.S. wants to have as small of a footprint as possible so it doesn't... Um, you know, get these mass protests against them because they know, the U.S. knows that foreign intervention is extremely unpopular in Haiti. That's why they're going with, you know, this whole Haitian-led mantra of the Montana Accord. That's why they're saying, you know, it's mm. humanitarian intervention and, um, and you know, they're, they're the U.S. is desperate for its puppets to be effective so it's not at the forefront. So last case, you know, I think last resort, is that the U.S. De deploys a significant amount uh, of its own troops. It's really looking for a proxy to do the job. As always, exactly. Um, a couple of more questions I had for you. One, the cynical nature of me, knowing these politicians and knowing the elites who... Uh uh, in Washington and New York and so forth in the financial sector who love going down to the Dominican Republic and they love buying up beachfront property there. They love the resorts, the all-inclusive resorts in the Dominican Republic and so forth. So what sort of a humanitarian crisis is are we seeing that is could potentially or is already spilling over into this into the Dominican Republic and specifically into the areas where these Washington elites would uh, have a problem going on vacation? Yeah, there's been a uh... There is a humanitarian crisis in Haiti, um, a huge amount of migration coming into into the Dominican Republic. And the Dominican leadership, after meeting with uh, actually with Kamala Harris and Samantha Power and um, a bunch of top figures in, in Congress, they deployed uh, military assets to the border with Haiti because, of, of course, they share an island. Um, and the president of, uh, of the Dominican Republic and his top diplomat have called for military intervention in Haiti to put down this uprising to, you know, like you said, an invasion mm -hmm. to put down this uprising and, you know, return what they call stability, kind of the status quo. So, um, you know, the idea of a popular revolution and and this these puppet this puppet government collapsing in Haiti is a major threat to Washington and elite interests in the Dominican Republic and then even the region. Haiti, as small as it is, is um, you know kind of uh, is a major player kind of on the on the geopolitical chessboard. You know, so if, right. it's like if one if one part goes, then the rest of them are threatened too. So the Dominican Republic is very much a front uh, to, and always has been, 
to prevent revolution in Haiti. And so you had a chance to speak with a congressman last night by chance uh, who has uh, an interesting position on this. Can you tell us about your confrontation with a member of Congress on his Haitian position last night? Yeah, so, you know, it's actually the second time I, I've uh, had a chance to interface with um, Congressman Andy Levin of Michigan in recent weeks. I saw him at a House Foreign Affairs Committee hearing, and, uh, you know, he was pretty dismissive to what I was saying. Um, I asked him about, about you know, military intervention and, and the G9, which is blockading this, and he said those guys are terrorists. And, you know, so that's obvious langu language that... Um, Mm. sort of intimates uh, that the U.S. has to, you know, take them out. And then I saw him last night at Whole Foods here in Washington, D.C., shopping, and I approached him, you know, casually and, and politely, and I explained to him that, you know, the two, the, the, the figures that he is promoting in the Montana Accord, specifically Magali Como-Denis, its leader, was involved in the 2004 U.S. coup against uh, President Aristide who's Haiti's most popular president ever. And so he wants to say, Ariel Henry, the interim prim, prime minister, is so bad. Well, Ariel Henry was involved in the coup, and so was, the, and so was uh, the leader of the Montana Accord. So basically, you have two U.S. puppets, and this is just an excuse for further U.S. Uh, involvement, intervention in Haiti. And I offered to brief him uh, on what I know about the situation based on my reporting and my investigations. And he just, you know, dismissed me and kind of sneered and, and hurried away. So, you know, these are like the enlightened liberals that want to think they know what's best for Haiti, but they're, they're, you know, the most, the most imperialist of all. Right. Yeah. He just throws out the talking points. Oh, there are terrorists blocking the oil fields. There are terrorists in the, in the, in the blockade. And uh, what they, you know, again, just, just parroting what, uh, what it was, comes right from Nancy Pelosi's office uh, 